Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the here we go again edition. This week, we're talking about what happens now that Ohio's Supreme Court rejected the legislative maps. Who is in charge of the state House Democrats? why Jim Jordan says he won't testify before the January 6th committee, and how another school filed another lawsuit against the state. This week, I'm joined remotely by our redistricting guru, Jesse Ballmer. Welcome back, Jesse. I love maps. And you're going to love them a lot more in the next 10 days. It was fun doing the Ohio Redistricting Commission the first time, and I figured let's do it again. Yeah. So Ohio Supreme Court took a look at the legislative maps. These are the ones for the state house and Senate. And the majority on the court basically said, nope, nah, go back and do it again. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's a 4-3 decision. So you have uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor joining with the three justices who are Democrats and saying that the maps did not meet what voters wanted when they approved these changes to curb gerrymandering in 2015. And specifically, they're looking at this part of the Ohio Constitution that says they shall attempt to meet the statewide voting preferences of Ohioans. And the court, in their opinion, says those statewide voting preferences over the past decade were about 54% for Republican candidates and about 45% for Democratic ones. Yeah. And one of the interesting things I thought was uh, the chief justice was basically like, y'all need a new constitutional amendment. Yeah, that was a really interesting part of the decision. You had Maureen O'Connor, who joined with the the majority decision, but also put a little addendum on there, which is essentially like if voters want to look at an independent commission or another way of doing this <laughs> other than the Ohio Redistricting Commission, you could have at that. So they have 10 days, right? That's what the court said. They put a ticking clock on this. Yeah. So the court said they have 10 days to redraw the map and they is the Ohio Redistricting Commission, a group of seven people, which includes four lawmakers and then your governor, secretary of state and auditor. You're going to have two Democrats on this commission and five Republicans. Yeah. And so uh, I assume that means they might have to work on the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Uh, Shortly after the decision came out, they're kind of scrambling to figure out what it means, how they have to work together, what a new map for the House or for the Senate would look like. Do they need to start from scratch? Can they look at maps that were proposed by Ohioans or Democrats or other chambers? So that'll be interesting. And then at whenever they pass this map, the people who filed lawsuits against the first ones have three days to bring about any concerns or challenges to it. So I'm going to ask you one more question on this, which is, what do you think the odds are that they actually get a map this go around? Because one of the arguments that folks have made is we could be doing this over and over again. Gosh, that's a hard question. I think hope always springs eternal, right? 
Um, I think the difference this time is they have some guidance from the court. Before, they had this whole new set of requirements that voters approved. They weren't 100% sure how those were going to be interpreted by the judges. And so there was a little more wiggle room on what they could do. Now that there is a 146-page legal decision on this, they have more guidance. And I think they can kind of point to the Supreme Court for why they're making these decisions that could reduce the number of Republican seats in the Ohio General Assembly. I mean, likely will reduce the number of Republican seats in the Ohio General Assembly. So it's uh, a new year and Democrats in the Ohio House have new leadership. Um, Allison Russo is the new minority leader. Uh, she's from Upper Arlington. And if she, her name sounds familiar, that's because she ran in the special election last year. She tried to take the seat that Steve Stivers was vacating, but it was won by Republican Mike Carey. And it looks like there won't be a rematch. Yeah, and I think that's partially because of the way the maps were redrawn. She might have been in a district with um, Joyce Beatty, the current sitting uh, Democrat representing Columbus for several years now. So that probably wasn't a challenge she wanted to take. But I think that that race against Mike Carey, because of the way that district is made up, just the politics of it was always going to be a very uphill battle for Allison Russo. Um, meanwhile, a new position leading House Democrats is an opportunity for a person who I think a lot of Democrats see as a rising star to get more experience, have a little bit more name recognition than she would as in also ran in a congressional race. Yeah. And speaking of congressional races, she's stepping up to lead the House Democrats because it looks like the former leader, Amelia Sykes, might be stepping into a congressional race. Yeah, I think a lot of people suspect that Amelia Sykes is going to get into a race in a district that um, includes Akron and also parts of kind of the Cleveland suburbs. It's a district that um, doesn't have an incumbent. It would have several Republicans, including the Trump pick, uh, Max Miller, would be in this race. The way the district is drawn, it's very competitive right now and maybe even slightly leans towards the Democrats. So it's a race that I think Amelia Sykes could feel you know, her odds are very good in if that's something she ultimately decides to do. I, I think that's likely. Yeah. And circling back to redistricting for a moment. So uh, Sykes was on the first redistricting commission, but it looks like Russo might be on the second one. If uh, I understand your tweets on the Twitter, <laughs> it is uh, Kristen Boggs is the interim minority leader's job to pick and she's going to follow Russo's lead on this. Yes, this is a, kind of a weird situation. Probably the Ohio Supreme Court did not consult House Democrats on when would be a convenient time to drop a major <laughs> decision. Uh, but the effect of that is, is the House Democrats don't officially have a new leader yet, because even though Representative Russo was selected for that position, she needs to be, you know, officially you know, gaveled in during session, and that may not happen until after we need to put this commission together and get going because we only have 10 days to make it happen. Always fun. So our third topic is U.S. Congressman Jim Jordan, who announced in a letter on Twitter this week that he won't be complying with the request to testify before the January 6th committee. Jordan made two arguments in his letter. One was he has no relevant information, and two was 
the legislators on this committee are too biased in their investigation. And for those who don't remember, Jordan was originally nominated to serve on this committee, but House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said no, arguing he was a person of interest in the investigation. Yeah, I think what's interesting is uh, there. Jim Jordan, the representative, has said that he communicated with former President Trump that day, and the kind of timeline of that and what was communicated has, uh, you know, been kind of difficult to nail down. I feel like, and so that's probably one reason why the commission wanted to talk with him about that day. But I think Jim Jordan has really made a brand of being a Trump loyalist and opposing a lot of these January 6th commission investigation efforts. And so I suppose it's it's on brand for Jordan to not want to participate in this. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of interesting that they don't maybe have uh, a lot of enforcement when it comes to this committee. I mean, some of the non-congressional folks that they've gone after, they could hold in contempt, potentially subpoena to come. But it sounds like the law is a little squickier when it comes to an actual member of Congress. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting whether there is public pressure or pressure from colleagues to participate in this. But I think if Jim Jordan really wants to dig in, I think he will be able to do so. Yeah, I don't see any like political downside to him not participating, at least not at this moment. Yeah, I think I think among the people who would like to downplay what happened on that day, you know, that's a popular position. So we're two weeks into the year and we have two different lawsuits brought by Ohio schools. So we told you about the voucher challenge last week. And this week, Groveport Madison, a school district south of Columbus, sued the state over a potential $700,000 fine. The penalty was for not busing kids to their private or charter schools, which I know it sounds weird, but hear me out. So in Ohio, uh, public schools have to provide busing to all their kids, even the ones who take vouchers to a private school or pick a charter school. And the problem for Groveport is the problem that like districts all over the country are having. They just don't have bus drivers and they can't bus their own kids. They can't bus the private school kids. And the Ohio Revised Code says if you are consistent or prolonged in your noncompliance, you can be fined. And that's exactly what ODU did. Yeah, I find this one very interesting. This is really the second lawsuit, as you pointed out, that is pitting your private schools against your public schools. And maybe that is just the way um, it has been for quite some time. But now we're headed to court over it. You got a feel for Groveport Madison, who is just trying to bust their own kids. You know, this is a challenge. It's not like they're just sitting around saying, oh, no, we will ignore this part of Ohio law. They're legitimately struggling to get this service moving for their for their own students. Yeah, and because it's not a challenge of the actual like law that requires the busing of the private and like charter school kids. It's a challenge of the way it's being enforced. So, of course, the code just says consistent or prolonged. ODE um, actually came up with the interpretation that it's 10 days in a semester or 10 days in a row. And Groveport Madison basically says, like, we feel like they just pulled that number out of the air and we didn't get a fair chance at defending ourselves. So, it's, I always love when like lawmakers don't spell stuff out and then like the agency has to, and then people get pissed at what the agency decided. Yeah. It's just, it's a rough place to be in. And 
when you look at the amount of money that they're being fined, it is significant. I mean, these are, you know, $700,000 or in the case of some larger districts, maybe closer to a million dollars. So this is not a small penalty. So I understand why the schools want to figure out what this means, what their obligation is, what their obligation isn't. And lawsuits can be useful for that. Yeah, I also kind of wonder, it feels a little bit like, you have, I know ODE is just following Ohio Revised Code, right? Like, they're just doing what the law says they're supposed to do. But it feels a little bit like kicking the district when they're down, given, like, the national bus driver shortage. Correct. And I don't know what sort of latitude Ohio Department of Education has on this. Like, can they not impose a fine? Can they be a little more lax when we're in a situation where it's challenging to get bus drivers? Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to sort of parse out, like, you know, there is a bus driver shortage, but were they perhaps unfairly prioritizing their students over private schools? I have no idea. I think this case, though, will be super interesting as it continues to play out. Certainly one to watch. And one more thing before you go. Christopher Columbus could be making a comeback. The statue of the controversial explorer that used to sit outside Columbus City Hall could be coming out of storage. A committee is discussing displaying it again on the condition that it have some materials that give historical context about Columbus's role in slavery and his mistreatment of indigenous people. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I I would want to know where he had been stored for all those years. I, I think we're all having a conversation about our history and what do we, um, you know, put up on a pedestal, either literally or figuratively. How do we teach children about their past in a way that both, you know, is supportive of people who made good choices, but also like aware of um, some of just the darker aspects of our history. And so Christopher Columbus can be part of that. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Telegraph Forum in Bucyrus. Their website is bucyrustelegraphforum.com. That's B-U-C-Y-R-U-S, telegraphforum.com. Thank you.